0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another special episode of the We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. I'm Trev and today I am going to talk about some more films that I haven't watched yet. And this time it's Christmas themed movies, but not just like any old Christmas films. I am going back over the classics. Okay, so there's four films. I've selected from a list of plenty, which I'm going to be watching. Um, You won't find It's a Wonderful Life in this list, because that's a film I have watched. And I do love It's a Wonderful Life. And what I love about It's a Wonderful Life is that it's not a musical. Um, I'm not a massive musical fan. There is one or two musicals in this list, which are those Christmas classics that perhaps i should have seen i don't know i'm not a musical fan but i am a christmas fan so yeah i love this time of year i get so excited um more excited than my kids if i'm honest i will be up all night waiting for the kids to wake up every hour i'm sort of like look, looking at the clock and my wife's just like lying next to me going, it's not time yet trevor just lie down go to sleep i'll be up at six going, should we get them up and she's like just let them lie in trevor honestly I am a, I'm an Egypt when it comes to uh, the old uh, Christmas. But anyway, today the first film I'm going to discuss and view for the first time is the 1954 Bing Cosby and Danny Kay musical White Christmas. We all know the song. Um I think this I, I don't know if the, the song came out before, didn't it? The song is like from the 40s, I'm pretty sure. But he, you know, they used it in this film. It's the title of the film. I don't know anything about it, if I'm honest. So all I know is that it's a comedy musical romance starring Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, Rosemary Clooney and Vera Ellen. All right. So I'm going to watch it now and then I will come back and we will discuss what I thought that's all important isn't it what well, i thought of it <laughs> come on let's get in the holiday spirit merry christmas well i watched this film with my wife and my six-year-old daughter watched she watched most of it she did fall asleep uh, we did let her stay up to watch it but she did fall asleep sort of halfway through um so Bing crosby and Danny Kaye play uh, Bob Wallace and Phil Davis. Bing Crosby is a captain in the army. This is where it starts. It starts in the war. And it starts on the battlefield. And you see Bing Crosby uh, and Danny Kaye are doing like a Christmas show for the troops. There's a new general who's turned up. Who like, what's going on? We don't want this. We're not having a Christmas show. And they, uh, they all remember the old general. General Waverley. And... Bing Crosby does a big speech for General Waverley after they've sort of tricked the the, the strict general to clear off. Uh, Bing Crosby then makes a big speech about General Waverley and all the folks sort of remember him and then they all march out singing this song for the general. Uh, A big musical number. And then uh, they're all bombed and they all sort of run for cover. But a building is about to fall down on to Bing Crosby, Bob Wallace, and Danny Kay rescues him. And uh, when Danny Kay's in the hospital afterwards, Bing Crosby comes up and says, look, thank you ever so much. You saved my life. What can I do for you? You know, any time you want anything. Danny Kay's like, well, actually, I have written this. He's like, what's that? That's a, that's a duet. I don't do duets. I, I sing on my own. And Danny Kay holds him to it. And then through montage of sort of quick little scenes, dance numbers, newspapers, newspaper covers, headlines, you know, you see that the war is over and uh, Wallace and Davis do become a team and they do sort of take the world by storm, take Broadway by storm with these musical numbers um, and then it gets, it's, to me it's like watching an episode of The Simpsons, you know how The Simpsons starts and what the first scene is about isn't necessarily how it ends up and i I suppose there is more of a circular scene because it does end up being about the general but it's quite a long way to get there and then when you go back you know so it's sort of but it's sort of like a scene things happen and then the next scene you're like oh something else is happening now what's happening now (laughs) it's like it just yeah reminded me of the simpsons the way it just goes from one plot line to another but anyway so Danny Kaye then and Bing Crosby, they're in Florida. They're just about to finish for Christmas and go back to New York. And Danny Kaye is trying to set Bing Crosby up with some dancers. Bing Crosby's not interested. And he says, look, we've got to go and watch these sisters, a sister act. And it's sisters of a, like someone else they knew from the army, who they were saying is a real dog-faced boy, dog-faced freckly boy, you know, really ugly. Uh, Except when they the sisters show them a photo of the boy and they're like eesh well he always was handsome and they're making out that like you know he's ugly and i was looking at the photo and well he's better looking than both of them ben crosby's quite an old guy and danny kaye's sort of the joker they're not strikingly handsome people are they i don't know but they're off the time i'm not criticizing anyway so they go to meet the sisters the sister act the haynes sisters Rosemary Clooney as betty and vera ellen as judy and they sing their song, sisters, sisters, something or other about the sisters, you know. Um I'm enjoying it to an extent. I'm not overly keen on musical numbers. It's when they get big musical numbers. I'm really not that bothered. But anyway, we've seen Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. They, there's good banter between them. Bing Crosby's sort of the cool... The crooner, isn't he? He's the cool one, laid back. Danny Kaye's more of the clown, and he's, uh, they're, they're bickering like children. He's trying to set him up with the women. And then they meet these girls, and Bing Crosby starts to fall for Betty almost straight away, but then they start bickering. So it's like, you know. It's not a straightforward love story if they just fall in love and that's it, is it? So they've got to be sort of on and off throughout the film, and they are. Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen, I think they're getting on all right, and they like, go off on this dance that takes them out onto the balcony. It's an actually a really, really impressive little dance number, if you're into that sort of thing. It's not my cup of tea, but... I could appreciate it, it was good, and my wife was really enjoying it, and my daughter was, was enjoying it as well. But then uh, the Haynes sisters, anyway, they do their song, and it turns out that Judy Haynes actually wrote the letter, pretending to be her brother, just because she knew that they'd feel obliged to come and watch. Uh, anyway, they all sort of get in coots, and but then it turns out that this, this is what I mean, like the Simpsons plot. All of a sudden... Halfway through their act, Betty and Judy are like going to get arrested because there's a landlord who says that they've burnt their rug, even though they swear they didn't. They own £200 and the sheriff's coming to arrest them. So Danny Kay sort of sends them out the back, gives them tickets for their train, uh, and sends them on their way. Whilst Bing Crosby and Danny Kay then steal in time, they dress up half heartedly as women and they go on and do their own version of sisters um oh it's all it's all hilarious it's all funny you know it's is it wrong of me they do this sister's song three times in the film and it's like the first song when they turn up at the hotel in vermont halfway through the film they do the song the sisters song again is it wrong of me the line where they said those who have seen us I'm instantly rhyming in my head with Regina's. <laughs> I'm just wrong. I know. I'm wrong. I'm thinking, how can I rhyme that with Regina's? Anyway, so they ch- they've sent the girls out onto the train. Bing Crosby doesn't realise, but uh, Danny Kaye makes that as Bing Crosby's idea. And then Bing Crosby and I have to run away because the the sheriff's coming. And they jump out the back of the window of this place and they're in this tiny little alleyway. And like, taxi, and it's like, that's lucky that taxi was just driving up that tiny little alley at the time that, you know, at the exact moment that they escaped through the back window. Um, but at this point it cuts from them getting into the taxi to them being on the train. And my daughter looks at me and said, that's a big taxi, isn't it, dad? <laughs> and I just thought, oh, she's brilliant. But she also said, it's not a very Christmassy film, is it? Which, you know, it doesn't feel that Christmassy throughout the film. Um, they do sing the snow song on the the train, which, you know, why did that never catch on? You know, that snow song is a strange little song all about washing your hands, face and hair in the snow. But then they turn up anyway and they turn up at this hotel at Vermont where, you know, it's meant to be snow there and there is no snow. But there is General Waverley is there and it's his hotel. And this is where the story now really takes place because he's struggling, he's losing money and... It's up to Bob and Phil as his sort of, you know, they look up to him, they respect him. They want to save the day and they put on this show and call all the troops in to come and watch the show. That's basically the storyline with a little bit more trouble between Betty and Bob. You know, she thinks she gets misconstrued, thinks that Bob's doing it for all the wrong reasons and just doing it for money. Uh, because she heard someone else had said so and uh, she goes off sulking but she doesn't talk to Bob and it's really frustrating isn't it in films when people do that you know oh you're like oh just talk to him just explain and then he can say no 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 that's that's wrong you're wrong love you know don't wait to the end but there you go anyway shit happens so um, what was weird uh, my wife pointed this out it's like You see the general and this is this my granddaughter and this is my housekeeper and such as, and Donna's like, where's the rest of his family? He's just with his granddaughter. Hasn't she got a mum and a dad? Hasn't he got like children? It's just a weird link. It's just him and her the whole time. No one else. Um, but you know, I did enjoy the film there's a few big elaborate dance sequences and the rehearsals and some joke some song about bad jokes which was awful and some strange dance about choreography which was more of a, a comedy number um i guess but yeah it's it's not all my sort of thing the dance inside of it it's like the film um Singing in the Rain is a great film, but the dancing numbers lose me. Some of them, some of them are great when it's sort of incorporated in the film, I don't mind it, but when it's these big elaborate stage numbers, like there's one in Singing in the Rain, it just seems to go off on a tangent at the end. It's like, what the hell has that got to do with anything? Um, but in this, you know, at least they're practising for a show, so there's some sort of sense to it. But there's one bit where Betty's gone back to New York and... Bing Crosby goes back to watch her, and one of the dancers, I'm like, is that Anthony Perkins? I'm sure that's Anthony Perkins, you know, uh, the chap out of Psycho. So I googled it, and I can't find anything, but if I type Anthony Perkins, and then as soon as I wrote w, the W afterwards, white, I went Anthony Perkins, White Christmas, but I only typed the W, and White Christmas came up, and then... Underneath that was is Anthony Perkins in White Christmas. So people are asking that question, so I'm not the first person to think that, but I cannot find an answer. He's it doesn't seem to be on his IMDB. So possibly not. Um and then it gets to the end anyway, Operation Waverly, where Bing Crosby goes on to the Tetler right? You got that? And he sings this really sort of patronizing song about how generals don't work after the army. And then he calls the troops in from his division and gets them to come and sort of enjoy the show and make the general know that he's he's wanted. It's a lovely ending and then it snows at the very end and he gets to sing White Christmas with everyone else. It's a great ending, and yeah, it did. At that point, it does feel Christmassy, and it was good. And my wife really enjoyed it. Um, my daughter was asleep by this bit, so sure she missed it. But um, it just, just before the White Christmas ending, they sing the song, I Wish I Was Back in the Army, and it's not really a bad place to be, they're saying, you know. At least we got three meals a day. Um, yeah, but you also got to be bombed. You got to see all your friends die. It's a strange thing, isn't it? I can't imagine people were really that sort of Oh, let's go back to the army just seemed a bit strange how this film you know is a christmasy film but you'd think a film that starts off at christmas and they're all dreaming for this white christmas back home and then at the end they're all at home dreaming that they was back at war it's just a bit of a strange ending but yeah that, so that was my first of the christmas classics white christmas so i can't say i've never watched it now uh would it would i watch it again possibly I wouldn't go out of my way it's not one I'd watch every Christmas I don't think but uh, yeah it's all right so now we're going to look at some other Christmas films and by the end I'll tell you which ones I prefer which has been my favorite like I always do so what shall we watch next Okay, so it's another day, another Christmas classic to be viewed. And today's Christmas classic, I'm quite excited about. It's a story we all know, and it's it's a story that's been released. They probably do a version every single year, somewhere along the line. Probably a bit. It's the most filmed story ever, actually. I wonder if that's true, but it is uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And this is the 1951 version starring Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. Mervyn Johns as Bob Cratchit. George Cole as uh, young Ebenezer Scrooge. Who, uh, George Cole, obviously, Arthur Daly. So, I didn't realise he was in it. Jack Warner as Mr Jorkin. I'm just looking at IMDB here. Um... So we all know the story of Scrooge. We've seen it a thousand times. I absolutely love it. It's my. F- it's one of my favourite Christmas films to watch. And there's different versions that I like to watch. Um, I used to love The Muppets' Christmas Carol, but my family don't really enjoy it, so they don't watch it. Lately, I've been watching the Robert Zemeckis, Jim Carrey version of The Christmas Carol. That's my go-to Christmas Carol most Christmases and i love it i have got it in 3d i've got a 3d telly and i just love it it just looks amazing but i first watched it at the cinema and it was my my favorite ever 3d film i've ever watched it was my favorite ever cinema experience and i'd love to watch it again in 3d at the cinema because it's just amazing it felt like you was on a ride it, it's just oh i can't i can't explain how good it was in 3d And I always hope that, like, the cinemas will play it again in 3D, but never do, you know. They play all the old classics, like, we're going to go and watch Elf again at the cinema this year. We've seen that a couple of times at the cinema. But I would love to go and watch Christmas Carol in 3D. So, anyway, yeah, this is the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol, uh, which I've looked through sort of lists online of uh, the greatest Christmas films, and the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol is always high up on the list and I thought yes I would like to watch that Um I'm pretty sure that Alistair Sims has been in two versions of A Christmas Carol as well was he in like a really really old version so I'm looking forward to watching this so uh, without further ado I am going to stick it on and I will get back to you very shortly <laughs> I just watched A Christmas Carol Alistair Sim. It's actually called Scrooge the British version and now released as A Christmas Carol in the United States. And do you know what? I really really enjoyed it. I was I was watching it and I forgot again that George Cole was in it and like just looking at the young Ebenezer I'm like I'm sure I recognize him and forgot who they said George Cole was playing. So, yeah, it was young um, Arthur Daly. Yeah, I really like this version. It was good. I mean, there's a lot of the old sort of mister Chum, Chumley Chumney-Warner ways of speaking, you know, and it's quite... Not wooden performances, but this very old, old-fashioned, stiff upper lip. But some of the cinematography in this was great. Like the end scenes where he meets the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And it's very black and white. You know, it's a black and white film, but the blacks are so black. And, yeah, it just looks really interesting and really creepy. I mean, we all know the story. And I think this is quite a close adaptation. There's a lot in this that sort of got left out of later versions of this film. Like, you always see him with his ex, with his girlfriend... Uh, and his sister, he loses his sister, and you sort of understand why he doesn't like his nephew. Not not that he doesn't like his nephew, but he begrudges his nephew because he sees that, that it killed her sister, and that's something I've not picked up in a lot of versions, no matter how many times I've watched it. You see his girlfriend, his fiance, um, but you usually see them split up in the early yeah you know when he's visited in the Ghost of Christmas past, but you don't often see her in the Ghosts of Christmas present sequence, whereas in this one you did so you see her still tending for the poor um which makes you know me and my son the other night we watched Scrooged the uh, Bill Murray version, which my brother Robert took me to the cinema to watch years and years ago when I was younger um and the Karen Allen character in that she's obviously this character but helping the the poor and you see her in sort of the modern period as well you know that's the different version anyway so in this version yeah you see more of the girlfriend i liked that it didn't sort of overdo the tiny tim subplot it got on with the story it got on with the ghosts you sort of see bits of it in the beginning scenes but it's following Scrooge and you really see things through Scrooge's eyes rather than like going off on this tiny Tim Bob Cratchit tangent which a lot of the later films did um but one thing that I did notice with this version and comparing it to the Bob Zemeckis, Jim Carrey version the animated version I always thought Jim Carrey was uh, you know brilliant as Scrooge and he still is you know I still enjoy it But he has completely, he's just doing an impression of Alistair Sim from this version. Every little nuance, every little laugh, every little snigger, and when he's dancing, and even like all the, at the beginning, the very first scenes, I noticed it straight away, where Alistair Sim is, or Ebenezer, is sort of confronted with everyone in the office, isn't he? And he's he's like, oh... Christmas humbug, rah. but it's the way he's like, hm, ha, and all these little bits, nuances, yeah, exactly how Jim Carrey does them, and he's got the same voice as Jim Carrey has, exactly the same, so Jim Carrey has just basically just done an impression of this version of Scrooge, uh, hopefully that won't detract from either version, because I do like the Robert Zemeckis version, even, you know, he gets a bit sort of you know the scene in between the ghost of christmas present and the ghost of christmas past in the jim carrey one is like a big chase sequence there's none of that in this obviously because it's just telling the story it's very dramatic this version but yeah just great i love the casting of scrooge many scrooges lots of different scrooges how they can cast someone who looks so bitter but then you buy them as that happy rejuvenated scrooge at the end you know and none more so than Alistair Sim. I mean, my wife, she, she doesn't really like the Christmas Carol story. She was sort of watching it with me, but not really. She was on her phone and I'm watching it, but she was laughing at the end. She, you know, she, Alistair Sim's version of Scrooge at the end when he's redeemed you know the redemption of scrooge it does bring a smile to your face and he is ditzy and he's dancing and he's singing and he's laughing and yeah just a great ending um and yeah just a great version yeah i really enjoyed it my son kept coming in and out and seeing like the special effects and going Oh, God, that looks so fake. And I mean, it does. You know, there's a bit of a few ropey transitions and the scene where Ebenezer is visiting his old school and his sister turns up and walks through him. You're like, they're supposed to be the ghosts, but she sort of becomes a ghost. You can see that they're having trouble fading one in and out without fading the other in and out, so that everyone sort of becomes ghostly apparitions in this scene. But apart from that, I mean, most of it was pretty good for its time, I'm sure. You know, it's effective, it does its job. The scene where Marley turns up and sits down with Scrooge was really well shot. And, uh, yeah, the ghost of Marley sat on the solid chair. It looked it looked pretty effective for what it was. But, yeah, I, I'm glad I've watched it. I do love A Christmas Carol. It has made me want to watch the new, the, uh, Robert Zemeckis version again, but I mean, it's, it's a story, you know, you'd never usually watch the same films over and over and over, would you? It's only Christmas where it's, it's okay to watch mediocre films year in, year out, like Santa Claus, the movie, and you know, all these little films you watch with the family, um and Scrooge the story of Scrooge I could watch it again and again I do I love the story I love Christmas and uh, yeah I've just had a real Christmasy evening watching Scrooge anyway enough rambling on about that so you'll come back in a bit but the next time I speak to you will be another day and I will choose another classic film from Christmas past that I have not watched yet and we'll see what I think of that So, the next film that I'm going to watch is the 1947 American Christmas comedy-drama A Miracle on 34th Street, starring Maureen O'Hara and John Payne, with Edmund Gwen as Kris Kringle. So, you're probably familiar with the Dickie Attenborough version, the modern version. I think that was directed by... Home Alone director John Hughes, wasn't it? Um, that's a film I must admit I've only watched the once. It's got the little girl out of Matilda in it, isn't it? Um, not one we watch a lot of, but I've always wanted to watch this older version. So here I am. So I'm going to stick it on and then come back and we'll have a little chat about it. You're right. You're right about that. And action. So. The Miracle on 34th Street, 1947. So it starts off and it's Macy's Parade. Macy being a big store. They're doing a Thanksgiving Day Parade. And the man assigned to play Santa Claus is drunk. And Chris Kringle, who we get the idea is Santa Claus from the off, is there to sort of take the place of this drunk at the last minute. When Maureen O'Hara, who plays Doris Walker, she's organizing the show and she employs him, gets him dressed up and goes down a storm. Everyone thinks it's the greatest Santa Claus and everyone, all the children think he's the real Santa Claus. They recognize him. But of course, Maureen O'Hara, she is very, um, straight laced. She brings up her daughter, Susan, played by young Natalie Wood, to be, um, to not believe in Father Christmas. She's very grown up for her age. And this is all, all comes about, we meet John Payne, uh, the actor John Payne, as Fred Gailey, who has befriended Susan Walker. And really, as a means to get closer to the mother, he's sort of moved in next door and he'd like to get to know Doris Walker. So he finds it difficult to think that this little girl... Isn't allowed to be a child. Basically, her mum is so sort of serious that she's preventing her daughter from living a childhood. Um, and as the story progresses, Chris Kringle, uh, impresses the public and the, the owners of Macy by suggesting when the toys aren't available at Macy's, he tells them where else to go, you know, tells the parents where else to go shopping, which at first is like absurd, you know. But then word of mouth starts circulating that Macy's is doing this amazing good deed at Christmas time. And so Mr. Macy is really impressed and he wants to give Chris Kringle, Santa Claus, a a bonus and unbeknown to him that Maureen O'Hara, uh Doris Walker, just about to sack him because he's putting ideas into her daughter's head after Mr. Gailey brings Susan to visit him, and Susan starts to believe that he is Santa Claus. So the mum is like, no, nope, I don't have an S, I want you out, no one believes in Santa Claus, he's mental. <laughs> so then she has the psychiatrist look at him, and Santa Claus sees through the psychiatrist and knows he's a fraud. Um, so there's this rivalry there, and the psychiatrist is like, no, nope, he's, he's insane, get rid of him. As the stories progress, you know, it ends up in a big court case, is Santa Claus real and is Chris Keringle the real Santa Claus um so that's basically the be all and end all it was from the offset it gets straight into the story really um and it's a really nice film i really enjoyed it it really felt Christmassy. i'm i feel a bit sorry for myself today i've had my booster jab i feel a bit groggy um and i've stayed at home wrapping christmas presents while i watched this film so i didn't make as many notes but it's it's a really good film. Not only are they trying to prove that Father Christmas is real or not, Father Christmas is trying to prove to the mum and the daughter. He's trying to get them to feel Christmassy and to share the Christmas spirit and win them over. So it's it works on a personal level and it works looking at the sort of the commercialism of Christmas and how people are sort of forget the Christmas spirit. It's a, it's a really nice film. What I did like in this film is that, you know, Mr. Gailey and Chris Kringle really befriend this little girl and it takes you back to a much more innocent time, you know? It's a shame that modern-day sensibility that we have, we're all scared of, you know, and quite rightly too, you wouldn't just leave your kids with anyone and they leave her all the time with these two men who they don't really know, but... (laughs) What I had more of a problem with was not the girl sort of Kris Kringle going in and tucking her in at night, but the fact that she was allowed to chew chewing gum in bed, bubble gum. Oh, Jesus, spit that out, you know? I hate our children having bubble gum. I'm a real worrier, and I'm like, oh, God, they're going to choke on that. Put it away. You certainly wouldn't lie down chewing gum. Oh, my God, no. So, yeah, that made me feel more uncomfortable than (laughs) the fact that she was sort of, tucked up by Santa Claus you know it is sad and it was nice to see a film where children are just being children and it's all about the magic of Christmas and there's the adults you know Chris Kringle and Fred Gailey are both two really nice characters who want this girl to have this childhood and it's they're real friendly people and you believe in them and it's it's interesting to have the male characters sort of Pamper into this not pampering to this girl but they're playing the motherly role and the mother is so serious and you know it's quite an interesting dynamic for the time that it's set and she's like you know a businesswoman she's really high up in macy's and she's like the department head and sort of career driven not the kind of character you uh, female character that you'd expect to see in a 1947 black and white film the black and white I love watching older films, and it's... Although you can't see Father Christmas's red suit, it's it's a warm film. It really is nice. Um, um, there's, a you know, a few little subplots in this film, one of them being, like, the love story, obviously. And it doesn't take long for Fred Gailey to get his feet right in under the table, and he starts running around Doris Walker's house like he owns the place. And he's... Uh, you know, the phone rings and he answers it. And I just went, yeah, yeah, take it, take your liberties there. Uh, another subplot is the psychiatrist and the Alfred, the sort of chubby boy who plays Father Christmas. And the psychiatrist has basically told him not to because it creates a guilt complex and Father Christmas is outraged, and this Alfred is a really nice, friendly boy who enjoys being Father Christmas. He likes seeing the the joy on the children's faces. And he's. this is where Chris Kringle sort of goes up and confronts the psychiatrist and says, look, you're a fraud, actually, and then he hits him on the head with his walking stick. And that's where the court case sort of takes off. And I seem to remember the build-up for the end of the court case being a lot more in the modern film. You really felt when they prove they use the mail, I think they do the same in the John Hughes film, but they use basically the postal workers get this letter to Chris Kringle at the courthouse and they're like, oh, let's get rid of all that 50,000 letters. While we're hit at it, that's been delivered, clears some space for us. And they deliver all their letters to the courthouse, which becomes the authoritative recognition that the court has asked for. So it proves that Santa Claus exists. Um, and w- although it's a great ending, you know, it doesn't have that sort of momentous build up and the static elation afterwards, but it is a great film. I really enjoyed it. Um, I would be interested to watch. The new one now, uh, the modern one now. I say modern, I think that's like from the 90s, isn't
1: it?
0: Hiya, it's me again. So the next Christmas film, Christmas classic, that I am going to watch is another version of Dickens's Christmas Carol. This time it's the 1970 musical version starring Albert Finney as Ebenezer Scrooge. As well as Alec Guinness as Jacob Marley. And Kenneth Moore as the ghost of Christmas present. Kenneth Moore, I always remember being the actor in uh, Reach of the Skies, played Douglas Bader in Reach of the Skies, which was one of my dad's favourite films. So this is a version of Scrooge. I think this was the very first version of Scrooge I saw. And I remember I always enjoyed it when I was younger. It's a musical, so I mean... I've seen the musical of Oliver quite a lot, but I've never rewatched this since I was very, very young. So, quite excited to watch it. I'm going to stick it on now and come back and discuss the 1970 Scrooge. So, Scrooge. It hasn't dated as well as some versions of Scrooge, this one. I have quite a lot of sort of there's a lot of this I'm comparing it to other versions of A Christmas Carol and I do love A Christmas Carol as I said and I've watched several versions this Christmas already Um, after the the 1954 version the other night I went the next day I was wrapping Christmas presents and I thought oh I'll wrap some Christmas presents and I watched the Robert Zemeckis Jim Carrey version again and yeah I still thoroughly enjoy that version Uh, but this it's a bit i don't know a lot of the performances some performances get better as they go on in the opening scene i found it was all a bit underwhelming with the nephew uh played by uh, michael medwin and even bob cratchit in this uh, david collins i found him a bit i don't know there's no jovialness with the uncle, uh, with the nephew, with Scrooge's nephew, and I found Bob Cratchit was a little bit too, a bit little bit too pleasant and wet around the ears, and he didn't really sound like a cockney, you know, I like it when they, they make him sound like a, I don't know, I don't know, It just didn't really do it to me. Um, and then it sort of deviates from, you know, the first song you hear is Bob Cratchit singing, and it was it wasn't as catchy as something on from Oliver. But that being said, this film has a really high rating on um, IMDB and what have you. But then like I thought I even, you know, we're going to see Alec Guinness in a minute as the ghost of Bob Marley. No, not Bob Marley, Marley. And, you know, Alec Guinness famous for being Obi-Wan Kenobi, but, I love him in all the old Ealing comedies. Kind Hearts and Coronets. It's brilliant where he plays the whole family. Um, long before Eddie Murphy was doing that sort of thing. But when he comes in as the ghost, it is so underwhelming again. It's just awful. It's like he's just painted grey. He has a tube on his head. like You know, they always tie. He's always got his head tied together, hasn't he? But he walks in doing this... I don't know what he's trying to do. It's the weirdest walk you've ever seen. It's like a limp and a shuffle and a slide. And he's doing this thing with his shoulders. It's so strange. And then later on, I mean, you know, he's in this for five minutes. And it seems he's he's thrown it away with this poor performance. And he's probably like the biggest name in the film. He's got this weird, like, theatrical gait about his walks. Weird. And then he comes back at the end, which is a weird scene anyway, because... Uh, I don't know. It's like the film deviates from the plot quite a lot. At the beginning, you don't see... You see Scrooge going around and doing his money lending to everyone and telling them that they've all got to pay him and he's putting all interest on it. And uh, one of the blokes that he sees is... I'm sure he used to be the dad in Metal Mickey. I'm sure that's him. Um, I could probably look it up, but I can't be bothered. I'm pretty sure it's him. But he looked a lot thinner. Back then, and he goes on later on to sing probably the best song in the film, which is "A Thank You Very Much." Thank you very much. That one. Um, so yeah, it sort of deviates from the initial plot and goes off. He does goes doing this, and then he meets Alec Guinness. So then we do the Guinness. Um, There was half-decent effects of when him and Marley were flying through the sky. Bearing in mind, this is like eight, nine years before Superman came out. And, you know, it was quite good. But then, not so much the scenes with the Ghost of Christmas present. The flying then, just weird. Um, Just didn't look so good. But, yeah, let's talk about the ghosts. Because... The first ghost you see in the book is described as an androgynous figure with a blazing light on his head like a candle flame. So Zemeckis had it bang on. I know the effects weren't there to do it back in 1954, but they sort of had this glow apparition. You know, it looked like a, a glowing apparition and it looked like a ghost. They give it some effect. In this, no effect. They've just got a woman who could be the queen in a big feathery hat it's like what they haven't even tried dressing her up like a ghost you know i mean even the muppets christmas carol has that little glowing ghosty girl thing you know a lot better but this yeah, yeah it's just lets it down it's just an elderly woman in a hat um but then when we meet the the Ghost of Christmas Present. Everyone's favourite ghost. You know, even Scrooge's favourite ghost, isn't it? He is happy and jolly. And the Ghost of Christmas Present. It reminds me of John Cleese reading the offences in the stoning scene in Life of Brian. It looks like that. Kenneth Moore plays it brilliant. I really enjoyed his performance. Probably the best out of all the ghosts, if I'm completely honest. And then the, the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come is just a black cloak isn't it dressed like the grim reaper Uh, and then with a really fake looking skeleton mask that gets revealed at some point but that changes everything as well because they include the song thank you very much instead of scrooge's maid and that selling all his stuff when he dies in this one, the whole, all the street people meet up and they're celebrating and they're singing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And they're all thanking Scrooge. And Scrooge is like excited because he's like, Oh, why are they thanking me? Oh, they love me. But it never gets revealed to him that they're not thanking him. They're being sarcastic. So I don't quite get it. Um, What I couldn't understand as well was why, when the ghost of Christmas past disappears, that Scrooge all of a sudden has this weird squeaky Punch and Judy voice. He sounds like Zippy from this point on. Didn't notice it quite so much before that, but you know, it's. I still enjoy these scenes, and I enjoyed Kenneth more, and I enjoyed seeing Scrooge getting all over excited playing the the Minister's cat. He's enjoying himself for the first time in ages, and I, it was a good scene. I haven't mentioned Scrooge actually. Albert Finney, I thought, was great as Scrooge. He played him really like sort of withered and hunched over. It's great. He had a real bitter looking face on him. And um, even plays the younger version as well, which they rarely do. They usually cast someone else to play the young. The young Ebenezer. But in the flashbacks, he is the young Scrooge. Uh, you also got um, Tiny Tim. I'm watching it and I think, why do I f- think that's familiar? Why? Why does he look familiar? And I looked up his name. No, he hasn't done anything. And then it dawned on me. Oh, yeah, he looks like Jane Danson from Coronation Street. But when she played Eileen Critchley in Alan Bleasdale's GBH. (laughs) Tiny Tim is a spitting image of that. Um, But blah, blah, blah. Go on. We meet the ghost of christmas future and this is where it changes all again so you've got the extra scene with thingy singing thank you very much and then it goes to a new scene where scrooge is put down into hell now i've not seen this in any other incarnation usually falls into the grave and that's when he wakes up but in this one he falls into the grave and then he wakes up in hell And it's probably just to get their money's worth and use Alec Guinness again, bookending the film. But God, I wish they wouldn't, because he is awful in this. Sorry, Alec, I know you're a great actor, but what are you trying to do in this role? And he comes in and he's like, oh, I'll show you around hell. Oh, you've got the cold room. Oh, you've got to have all these chains. That they've had to bring in extra devils at the foundry to make your chains. And then he's like, and you're going to be Lucifer's personal assistant in this freezing cold room. And then he's like, bye bye, Merry Christmas. And he does this weird wave as he leaves the room. And it's like, oh my God, it's so awful. It's so cringy. Um, but, and then the end is like another version of, a few of the songs, it's like a big medley of all the songs we've heard but it's Scrooge celebrating and then he goes and buys Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit all the things they want, he brings the goose and he brings them all toys and he dresses as father for Christmas and it's a big monumental ending but it's not the ending you know. if you're going to do Scrooge do it properly, <laughs> that's all I can say but no, it was alright it was alright Uh, A lot of the songs didn't hit the mark for me, but there's one or two. The Fezziwig song and the uh, Thank You Very Much song. And the ending was good and enjoyable. And Albert Finney made a good Scrooge. So, yeah, that's Scrooge, 1971. So, there we go. Four Christmas films. I was going to watch The Holiday Inn as well, but... I, in the end, I opted for the the musical of Scrooge. I fancied watching another version of Scrooge. So, out of the four, which were my favourites, whilst White Christmas was... It's not my sort of thing. I wouldn't say it's a bad film. It just isn't my sort of thing. And it wasn't a very Christmassy story for Christmas until the end. And, I don't know, it's a strange sort of gung-ho sort of ending where they all want to... be want to go back to the army and it just it's just a strange thing to me this this love relationship that they had with the war and this when Christmas shouldn't be about that it should be about a time for family and all that so then the musical Scrooge they made a few changes that weren't very good the ghosts weren't very good at all old Obi-Wan Kenobi uh Alec Guinness it was absolutely appalling in that and I was looking forward to seeing him in there And although Albert Finney played a good Scrooge, yeah, it just it missed the mark for me. There was a few sort of dull songs in it, and yeah. So it's between Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street and the Alistair Sim version of the of Scrooge. Now, I love the story of Scrooge, as I said, and that was a great version, great for its time. But what's left me feeling the most Christmassy after watching it was definitely a Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah a great film, great ending, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that, looking back at some old classic bl- classic, classic Christmas films, so thank you everyone for listening, if you have listened, and I hope to see you all soon, I said it last month, hopefully me and Nathan will get together and have a chat, but I, I, in the meantime, I'm just going to keep making these little podcasts if you're all happy to listen to them still please comment over on our Facebook group facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about Movies podcast let me know I'll put a post up of this over there let me know what your favourite Christmas films are which are your classics that you watch every Christmas and um, yeah it'd be great to hear from you anyway I'll see you all again soon Merry Christmas Happy New Year and chase some peas bye
1: <laughs> Thank